Well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name tag does say Mike Ashburn, but ever since I was a little boy, everybody calls me Ash. And uh, I have uh, four grown kids, uh, age 27 to 34, and I have uh, five grandkids, and they call me Pappy, but everybody else calls me Ash. And it's not, I don't mind being called Mike, but it, it doesn't even register. My mother was the only person who ever called me Mike. And so many of you have said how much you've been praying for me, and I've been praying for you, and I want you to know I'm especially going to be praying for the, for the Pepsi uh, Ocean uh, Morning Smart people, because you guys, <laughs> guys are struggling. <laughs> I'm from uh, Bean Blossom, Indiana. And Bean Blossom, Indiana is just about what it sounds like. It is a... I live in, the ca- in a cabin on 11 acres in the middle of the woods, and it is a wonderful, a monastic place for me. And uh, I'm on the road a lot, but I come home and I'll have two weeks where I don't do anything, and then it, it goes from being monastic to a little bit scary. So I want you to know you have saved my life. This is my first thing in about three weeks, and I was absolutely going nuts. <laughs> I had two dogs. Uh, a bloodhound named Sadie and a rescue pit bull, bull named uh, Dozer. And uh, you probably can tell by now that I talk funny. And uh, that's a Bean Blossom, Indiana thing. But the, the wild thing is, is people in Indiana even think I talk funny. <laughs> but you'll get used to it. And uh, uh, my accent comes from the mountains of Tennessee. And I'm going to uh, talk more about that later. So... Uh, you know, I came for one reason this weekend, uh, that our lives would all be changed forever. That there would uh, be no way that you could go home and ever look at, at the person on your pillow the same. That you could never approach your job or your church or your children or grandchildren ever the same. Uh, because this uh, Jesus changes everything. This weekend is a call to action. Uh, we are going to consider God's word. I'm a storyteller. And I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories. And uh, about 80% of them are half true. <laughs> Those are the best ones. <laughs> but as you listen to the Bible stories, uh, some, I want you to immerse yourself into the stories. I don't think it's any accident that uh, not many of the subjects of, of the stories in the Bible have names. Just a couple, Blind Bartimaeus, uh, Nathaniel. Uh, the rest of them are like the leper or the paralytic. And that's because it's not just a story about them. It's a story about you. And in my own life, I'm 62. Uh, it's like... Um, I used to have kind of like this Messiah, kind of like I'd hear the story of them lowering the paralytic through the roof. And I would immediately think, oh, I'm Jesus, man. I can help these paralyzed teenagers. Or I'd think stuff like, hey, I'm the homeowner. I'd give up my chair. I'd let them tear a hole in my roof for Jesus. I am the paralytic. I'm the leper. I'm the woman caught in the very act of adultery. So I hope it's an encouragement and an inspiration. Uh, so hi-ho, and away we go. 
I know you might find this as a huge surprise, but I used to really be skinny. <laughs> and uh, one of my claims to fame was I played football. It was eighth grade, eighth grade football. It was the only time I ever played football, and it was the only, t- I played flag football in seventh grade, but it was eighth grade tackle football, and I made the team. I found out later it was a no-cut policy. <laughs> and I was, uh, well, back then they called it a flanker. It was like a tight end or a wide receiver or something. I don't know. But I never played in one game. And some of the things I remember about that was the uniforms in eighth grade football. I don't know if it's because they're hand-me-downs from varsity so that, you know, five years ago and when you get to be varsity, everybody's big. But every uniform is the same size. And I looked ridiculous. I was number 23. And the two and the three, like, wrapped completely around my body. It was like this big stripe. Shoulder pads came way out to here, and the hip pads would touch my armpits. And I am not exaggerating. I could hold my helmet like this, and I could look both ways. <laughs> the reason I never played in one game is because the other flanker tied in guy, his name was John Hunt. And he was number 81. And the eight and the one looked like a postage stamp on his chest. He, he was, uh, he'd shaved since he was like in the second grade. And our strategy, we would give John Hunt the ball and he would kill people. So it was the last game of the season. Our coach thought he was Vince Lombardi. We were undefeated. And it was the last quarter of the last game and we were behind. And John Hunt was uh, doing the best he could. And I'm over on the bench, on the bench, doing what you do on the bench, stacking cans, counting ants, stuff like that. And uh, all of a sudden, John Hunt gets tackled like on the one-inch line. He didn't score a touchdown. I thought he scored. And I stood up, and I'm looking, and everyone in the stadium is pointing, and they're kind of snickering. I thought, what is going on? So I stood up, and what had happened is John Hunt's uniform and his pants were so tight that he blew and busted his pants like completely out. I'm not talking about a little tear. I'm talking about his backside was shown to the whole town of Anderson, Indiana. I'm embarrassed to tell you, my first thought was, I'm in. I'm going to get a play. So I got off the bench. I went over. The coach looked dumbfounded. I pulled his uh, sleeve, and I finally named the demon. I said, Coach, you want me to go in for John Hunt? And it is a miracle that I have a self-image today. (laughs) He looked at me. He looked at John Hunt. He looked back at me and said, no. (laughs) I want John Hunt to play in your pants. (laughs) So a bunch of my teammates, they made like a little wall around me and I dropped trowel. (laughs) I put on John Hunt's split out game pants, wrapped a towel around my waist and headed back to the bench. John Hunt put on my game pants, but let me tell you something. John Hunt had the game of his life in my game pants. (laughs) He scored touchdown after touchdown. We won the game 
the cheerleaders practically uh, carried him off the field. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3.16. Have you not heard? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God is in you? And what that means is the God of the universe who created you, who adores you, who is head over heels crazy nuts in love with you. He wants to have the game of his life in your life uniform. And I'm here to beg you on behalf of Christ, get in the game. Get off the bench. Stay in the game. Because there is so much at stake that we forget about it. When we're trying to get shoes on four kids on the way to church. Whew. Church was the hardest uh, morning on earth. By the time we got four kids to church, we were sitting there going, go ahead, bless me. <laughs> there is so much at stake. I don't say this is a word of warning to you. I see a bunch of young married people. I see pappies and grammies. I see probably single and divorced people. The spirit of God is in you, and that changes everything. I was married for 26 years. We raised four kids. Uh, we looked just like you. We led marriage conferences, and my wife left me. It's the biggest mystery of my life. But I'm telling you, if that could happen to me and Eva, it could happen to everybody. So please get your spiritual butt off the bench and get in the game this weekend. What kind of life... Uh, uniform have you been handed is everything you've been handed just doesn't seem to fit does that sound like anybody you know we immediately think who has the credentials to pull that off <laughs> like who among us has the credentials if a man was brought before us blind since birth to give that blind man sight who among us <laughs> it's not just physical blindness who among us, if we knew somebody who was full of leprosy? Does that sound like anybody you know? Would have the ability to make them clean. <laughs> One of my teenage boys took about a year and a half to build a really good testimony. He was full of leprosy. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't fix it. <laughs> who among us? would be able to uh, take the guilt and the suffering away from a woman caught in adultery on a moment's notice or feed 5,000 people like that. Or who among us has been bleeding for 12 years and you have tried everything to make it stop and somebody like that comes to you? Who among us has those credentials? 
But what does Jesus do in John chapter 8? He spits on the ground and he makes a mud pie and he rubs it on the guy's eyes and a blind man sees. What does he do in Matthew chapter 8? A leper comes and bows at his feet. There is only one rule about leprosy. You never touched a leper. And Jesus touches the leper. And the leprosy is gone. In John chapter 8, a woman caught in the very act of adultery. The guy's nowhere to be seen. She's being judged by the public, by the synagogue, by the church. She feels ugly, naked. All eyes have been on her because of her sin. Uh, does that sound like anybody you know? Jesus off to the side, he, he doodles in the dust. The one who created the universe, who scooped you out of the dust and formed you out of the dust, he doodles in the dust. And all these uh, spiritual religious people go, what's he doing? And another person goes, he's doodling. <laughs> all the eyes came off of that woman. In uh, Mark chapter 6, all the spiritual Christian elder people, they're daffy-ducking. Oh, how are we going to feed 5,000 people? Oh, there's no way it would take a year's wage to do that. Oh, we're going to have to have a committee meeting over that. But a little boy, he brings his sack lunch. He didn't say, hey, you can have one of my potato chips. He said, take the whole thing. And 5,000 people are changed forever. You think you don't have the credentials. You know what you are? You're spit. You're mud. The adulterous woman uh, like grabbed a thread of his garment. You're thread. You are doodle dust. You and I are miserable sack lunches that Jesus can take and turn into an absolute miracle. So you don't have to stay on the bench for lack of credentials. You know, I told you I was a storyteller, and uh, I learned storytelling from uh, a couple of really important sources in my life. And I've even had a, a chance to do storytelling at places like Dollywood. Uh, next week, I'm going to audition at Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri to be able to to tell stories and stuff like that, to supplement my ministry for, for young life. When I was five years old, my dad died. Right before my fifth birthday. He was an alcoholic, and he was arrested for vagrancy, and he was beaten to death to jail. Now I ask you, how should a story like that end? But I'm telling you this, Jesus changes everything. And he's even funny about it. I'm a big-time introvert. And I have a national speaker for young life. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But because my dad died from the time I was five until I was ten, I spent the summers in the mountain of Tennessee. That's where the accent comes from. And I would spend the summers with my grandmother, Granny Pearl. She would uh, take us 
town was nine miles away. She was a true mountain woman through and through, but she would take us down to the Livingston, Tennessee Courthouse Square, and she would go to the Ben Franklin and get us uh, candy. And then I would walk across the street, and there were these guys who would carve. And I watched them, old guys, carving and spitting tobacco. And finally, at the end of the summer, I went up to the oldest, crustiest one because I figured he was in charge. And I said, sir, I've noticed that you guys have been carving all summer, but you never make anything. <laughs> and he never looked up. He just kept turning wood with that razor-sharp pen knife. He said, boy, when you take nothing and turn it into something, that's carving. But when you take something and turn it into nothing, that's whittling. <laughs> We're whittling here, boy. <laughs> and I thought, what a beautiful image. Because whittling and carving, man, they look a lot alike. <laughs> but they could not be more different. And that's how God's love is, friends. He can take the tiniest, simplest thing, and he can turn it into something beautiful. He can even turn it into something eternal. Now, please don't forget that this weekend. Granny Pearl was four feet, ten inches tall, a Tennessee mountain woman through and through. She wore little spectacles on the end of her nose. She always had a long dress on, even in the garden and an apron. She even had those little uh, boots. She had beautiful, long, gray, and black hair. She would comb it out every night, way past her belt, but always had it up in like a little bun in the day. Uh, no electricity, no water. Sometimes it would just be me and her for two or three weeks at a time. Sometimes a bunch of cousins would be in there. But Granny Pearl, by herself, took care of uh, five or eight grandkids because our parents had jobs and factories. And uh, during the school year, they only had to pay a, an hour babysitting. But in the summers, there's no way. Granny Pearl was with me the first time I ever shot a gun. She made sure the stock was right there. The first time I gigged a frog, she held the light and whispered in my ear, You can uh, do it. First time I caught a catfish, she reached down in that mud puddle with that apron. She grabbed that catfish and it was croaking and grunting and she marched it over to the barn door. Somehow I held it up there with one arm, grabbed the nail out of her teeth and popped it through the lips and had the skin off in about 10 seconds with a pair of pliers. I thought then and now, oh my God, what a woman. <laughs> she uh, taught me about stuff like uh, tinkle cans. I would sleep in the attic dormer and there'd be a Maxwell House coffee can underneath the bed and I had no idea what it was for until I heard Granny using hers downstairs. And there was this beautiful ring that went all through the house. She made, uh, the first time I was ever in a cave, I was on Granny's back. She made the worst coffee you have ever tasted in your life. It was awful. And she would drink it cup after cup all day long. And then she would go in the living room where all the men were and offer it to them and none of them would touch it. But I noticed something at five years old. When my granny walked in that room, all the language cleaned up. 
all the cigarettes would go behind the back and all the alcohol would go under the couch. She raised the bar uh, with her life. She took me on my first rat shoot. She woke me up in the morning at 2 and said, boy, let's go to the dump. And we walked about a mile through the night, no flashlight. I wasn't scared. And Granny built this big bonfire. She taped flashlights to the top of a, uh, uh, my 22 rifles. And the rats would look at the fire. So the fire's behind you. The rats are out there. And when they look at the fire, their eyes like two little red beads. And can you see that? Granny and me, back to back. And we are throwing lead as fast as you can imagine. We didn't know what we got until the next day. It was just carnage, just carnage. <laughs> She'd uh, make it so fun. She'd even put rubber bands around my cuffs to keep the rats from going up. <laughs> she would play hide-and-seek in the corn with us all day, me and my five little cousins, uh, going through the corn. Can you see her? Uh, where are you? That's the first question God asked in the Bible. She knew that we, that we liked to hide. But we loved to be found. I found out later it was a great strategy of evangelism. Because before Granny would go into the corn, she would put sulfur on her ankles. And that would keep her from getting chiggers. And the rest of us would get eaten alive. So we would, uh, at the end of the day, waiting on supper, she'd sit in the porch swing. And all of us five little cousins were lined up in her skivvies. And she would take a Maxwell House coffee can... I think it was a different one. <laughs> and she would whip up this paste of pine saw, flour, sugar, and camphor oil. And with that popsicle stick, she would glob every chigger bite with that paste. And it burned like fire. And she'd, she'd say, stay right there, boys, and let that paste set up. So there we were, lined up like ducks uh, to slaughter. And then that's when it would happen. She would reach behind the porch swing and she would grab the big, thick family Bible and she would make it come alive. It was the first time I ever saw the Bible. I'll never forget. She'd uh, say, boys, this is an amazing love story and it will change your life. She said, I'm going to tell you all about it, but let me give you a preview. Once you get past all the maps and the pictures and the introductions, you come to the very first page. On that page, boys, it's a story of a God who is head over heels, crazy, nuts, in love with you. And you are created in his image. And you are created to live forever. But boys, one page later, <laughs> something awful happened. And death came into the world. 
And it just seemed impossible that you would ever be able to do what you were created to do one page earlier. But don't be afraid, boys. Because you see all those pages? Every page, every word. Is the story of how God loved you so much that this is what it took Him to fix it. The whole Bible in two minutes. She was really quite a storyteller. But what I remember the most about Granny is every morning I would hear this. Biscuits. Cathead biscuits. I don't know if that's because of how big they were or what they were made of. I love to hear that cup sing. Well, I got the call we all get. And as a grown man with my own four little children, I went to say goodbye to Granny Pearl. When I got to her bedside, she was gibbering and jabbering and nobody could understand her. But because I had spent so much time with her, I knew she was saying, coffee. Coffee, Granny? And she blinked her eyes one time. Coffee, Granny? Yes. So we went and made the worst cup of like Sanka that you could ever imagine. And we gave her one little teaspoon and she said her last audible word, yes. But later that day, uh, isn't it something how life comes back around? I held Granny in my arms just like she helped me in the porch swing. And I stroked that long, beautiful hair. And I said, Granny, are you ready to go be with Jesus? And she blinked her eyes one time. Well, she passed on Monday, Thursday, and the Monday after Easter was a great celebration of her life. And all during the funeral, I kept looking at my watch because I thought I was going to have to leave early for something important. But as it turns out, I, I didn't. And I was even there by myself for a little bit, and in the dirt was a piece of paper, and I picked it up, and it was the bulletin from her funeral. And it hit me like lightning what my favorite part was. Because right at the bottom of the page, it said it in bold print. Reverend Michael James Ashburn officiating. That's me. I became a minister because of the amazing love story that Granny taught me on that porch. And I knew she wouldn't have minded for one second that I had to have let, would have had to have left early. Uh, I was supposed to drive five hours to a Young Life Club to tell 500 teenagers the same story. Uh, because you see, it was an investment that she had made with fish and frogs and tinkle cans, and cornfields, and the chicken bites, the frogs, caves, spit, mud, thread, sack lunches, awful, awful coffee, and biscuits. A whole lot of stuff that just looked like whittling ended up being a whole lot of carving. And what I love about God's love is 
the cup still sings and the legacy lives on. So you be encouraged because you ain't whittling, you're carving. Please remember that today when you're tubing and you're wiping snot off of kids' faces and when you're uh, splitting up fights because each other, they call each other stupid. I have a benediction for you. It comes from Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. Memorizing scripture saved my life. It's a prayer I pray every day for my grandkids and my kids. And I want to pray it for you. And for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in every respect and bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. For he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And a couple verses after that, a verse I want you to think about all day, It's talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. That word all in Greek and Hebrew, uh, what it means is all. (laughs) Will you sing with me? Jesus loves me, this I know.